and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This week we are of course focusing on the return of the Premier League as the Blues prepare to face Aston Villa in the most unusual of circumstances. On today's show we'll preview that upcoming trip to Villa Park as we assess what kind of shape Chelsea are in now compared to when things stopped in March. We'll also answer your questions and talk transfers. That's all to come in this episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello listener, great to have your company today as we gear up for the resumption of the 2019-20 Premier League season. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined as always by the Athletics Chelsea experts. Introducing first, live from his garden, it's Dominic Fifield. <laughs> hello, how are you doing? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Uh, Simon Johnson is here too. Hello, Simon. Hello, I won't tell you where I'm speaking to you from, but hello. <laughs> okay. Oh no, he's in the toilet again, isn't he? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to push that any further. Uh, also with us, the inimitable Liam Toomey. Hello. OK, a couple of topics we need to talk about before we look ahead to an actual football match. Latest news comes next. So, over the weekend, Callum Hudson-Odoi released the following statement via social media regarding his recent arrest on suspicion of rape. Hudson-Odoi said, At a time when there are bigger things happening in the world right now, you may also be aware of serious allegations that were made against me. I've stayed silent and assisted the police fully throughout their inquiries as I knew the day would soon come when my name would be cleared. Following a thorough investigation, the police have now confirmed they will take no further action. Uh, Simon, you covered this story for The Athletic. We've had a, a question in from Bees via Twitter. He says, rumours hudson Adoy is failing to meet expectations. Is this true? Um, I think, really, it's, it's an on-the-field thing as well, this, isn't it? And the caveat we always have to add is that he had this really, really serious injury, which, which meant that he was never going to be fully up to speed as soon as he came back. But it does feel like a, a big period ahead for hudson Adoy in all sorts of ways between now and, and when the season eventually finishes. Oh, for sure. Look, before this um, rather sensational incident hit the headlines, there's no doubt about it that that Callum Hudson-Doy had had a difficult uh, time since he came back from injury. I think failing expectations, it's understandable there were such high expectations. You've got to remember when he signed that new deal with Chelsea keeping the the lure of Bayern Munich at bay, there was mass celebration among the fan base. But with that, came a huge pay rise inevitably that brings a lot of scrutiny people have forgotten how young he is 19 people have forgotten how serious this injury is but you do hear that perhaps Callum Hudson-Odoi hasn't done himself any favours with with some of the way ways he's been behaving stroke performing and certainly this incident even though he's been found uh, there's no case to answer um, there's still question marks over why he got himself involved in this situation in the first place. So when he comes back, there will be a lot of scrutiny on him. But look, this kid has got talent, there's no doubt about it, and we shouldn't forget that. We should also remember that he had has picked up a little bit of a knock, which ruled him out of the first couple of games. Um, he's back in training now, so it's unlikely that he'll start against Aston Villa. But... Yeah, this is a very important period for him to just remind Chelsea fans what he's good at and perhaps take some of the negative um, glare away from him for the time being. Sure. Uh, Let's cover some transfer news in this section too. Liam, question here from Michael. He's been in touch to ask, when will the Werner deal be announced? Can anything change between now and then? Or is he 100% 
heading to Chelsea. Well, unfortunately, I don't work for Chelsea or RB Leipzig, so um, <laughs> I don't know when it's going to be announced. I've given up trying to second guess when clubs choose to announce these things. We've we've seen before that they can have new contracts with players tied up for weeks, maybe even months, and and just choose almost at random when to announce it and they seem to like building up a level of suspense as well but we also saw Rafa Honigstein reported that there's been a little bit of a delay in terms of the practicalities of conducting a medical uh, given the the travel restrictions and and quarantine restrictions in in both Germany and England but there's no doubt that that Werner will get done he is going to be a Chelsea player Uh, it's just a case of completing that medical and, and and you know the odd tiny little formality and, and, and then it will all be done. But they've, they've got plenty of time. The, the framework of this deal is, is complete. That's good to know. Um, Liam mentioned Raphael Honigstein there. If you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you may well have read his in-depth profile of Kai Havertz. Uh, in it, Rafa points out Chelsea definitely in the race to sign the player, albeit so are plenty of other clubs. Chelsea and Havertz club by a Leverkusen and uh, supposedly quite a long way apart in terms of a transfer fee. Too. Dom, how likely do we think that, that this particular deal is, is to happen? Because I mentioned that the length of clubs in the queue, there's some pretty pretty huge clubs linked with Havertz too. It's going to be a tough one for Chelsea to pull off, isn't it? Yeah, it, it does It does feel like a it'll be a difficult transfer to, to secure, but Chelsea have already demonstrated in this, well, it's not even the window yet, is it? But they've already demonstrated that they are willing to flex their muscles financially and if they feel that Havertz will offer them something very different uh, to what they already have, um, and that you know they're obviously gearing up for a future without William and Pedro, it's not implausible that they go into the market and and lodge a bid for him. But it does sound as if Leverkusen will be seeking something like seventy million pounds for the player, and that that is an a, an appreciable step up even from the Werner deal. Uh, it, it would be quite a spectacular transfer window if if Chelsea were to sign Ziyech, Werner, Havertz and a left-back, be it that Ben Chilwell or whoever. I mean, that you're talking a huge, huge investment with those four players and they would certainly need to to trim significantly elsewhere in the squad to, to raise some funds as well. And I just don't know, no one knows what the market is going to look like when it opens. So I think it's it's a watching brief at the moment. I, I don't think it will be an absolute disaster if Chelsea didn't sign Havertz because I do think they've got a lot of options out wide coming through. I mean, the, the likes of Hudson-Odoi, as we've already mentioned, but also Loftus-Cheek can offer something. Pulisic, obviously, is waiting to, to make his mark as well. So it's it wouldn't be a disaster, I don't think, if they didn't sign him, but it would be a hell of a statement of intent if they did. Mm, yeah, from from reading that piece, uh, it's something to get Chelsea fans excited if, if he does go there. A reminder, by the way, you can still sign up to The Athletic for full details on Havertz and all the stories that we discuss. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to take advantage of a 40% discount. That means it's less than £3 a month. Now, on a, on a Havertz-related note, CTO6 asks, if Chelsea were only able to bring in Werner and Ziyech as our two major transfers, how would the transfer window be seen? And by the transfer window, I'm guessing we mean from now until the start of next season. Um, Dom's already kind of given his answer. What, what do you think, Liam? There's still some, some patching up of this defence to be done fairly urgently, isn't there? Yeah, I think you have the bare bones of a very good transfer window and given the fact that it hasn't even opened yet that's hugely promising for Chelsea but they have had problems defensively this year and and 
Lampard clearly wants to upgrade at left back. Um, I also think they need a dominant centre back. There doesn't seem to be a lot of noise around that. I think partly because Chelsea is still trying to figure out if that player is actually out there. There, there aren't really a ton of um, Virgil Van Dijk's walking this earth. So I think I think that's going to continue to be a difficult one. But they have in Werner and Ziyech two players who can really make the difference in the final third, and that is the thing that Lampard publicly has been calling Chelsea's biggest priority in this transfer window and the thing that's frustrated him most this season. And I think even if they were to do no more business before the start of next year, you would have to think they would be in a better position to win some of those, particularly some of those home games that they've been kind of smashed and grabbed by inferior opponents uh, at several points this season. Just lastly on transfers, Simon, anything new you can bring us from last week on on Ben Chilwell? I wonder, for example, are there any kind of plan B options at left back that that Chelsea are looking at should Chilwell prove too expensive or too difficult to move out of Leicester? I mean, the the backup options have been well documented. The Taglifico of Ajax and Alex Tellez, um, Porto, um, but my understanding still remains as strong as ever. Um, Leicester, of course, are going to make noises about the transfer fee. That That's normal. Um, but it's a totally different environment to 12 months ago when they were able to get £85 million out of Harry Maguire. Um, they weren't coming out of a big pandemic. Um, and I think you, you're starting to see stories from the Leicester camp about possible options they're looking at. And I think that's a big indication of how they're thinking um, that they are actually starting to look beyond Ben Chilwell. So I, I'm still pretty confident this deal will happen. It's it's inevitably going to be all about the, the fee and what can be agreed. And at, at the moment, the two clubs are poles apart, but everything I'm being told is that the player wants to move to Chelsea. And when that is uh, the case, then most of the battle's already won and it's kind of a, a case of uh, just trying to get the two parties to come together to thrash out a deal. Well, time will tell on that one. That's probably enough speculation for now. Let's get on with the real business this week. Chelsea's return to action. Harry's sponsors Straight Out of Cobham, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced raises. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Now, I got my set just after we went into lockdown. I haven't had a clean shave in about five years, but I found it amazingly close, comfortable and easy to use. The good news is if you're a listener of this podcast, which you are because you're listening to it, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash chelseapod right now. That's harrys.com slash Chelsea pod. So all being well, and that's the caveat we'll be adding for the foreseeable future. Chelsea will resume their Premier League season this coming Sunday, the 21st of June, a full 105 days since the Blues were last in competitive action. To recap, with 29 of the 38 games played already, Chelsea lie fourth in the Premier League table, five points behind third place Leicester, three ahead of Manchester United, who start the week in fifth, though Sheffield United would go above them if they beat Villa on Wednesday in what will be the first Premier League game since the 
resumption. Uh, Simon, we, we spoke about uh, full t- contact training coming back in and what effect that had had on the squad. It, it looks as though they are ready to go, given the scenes that we saw this weekend at Stamford Bridge when a Chelsea team dismantled a QPR team by seven goals to one. And, and that's all good practice of playing in an empty stadium and all that kind of thing and, and just getting used to, to playing a game of football again. Yeah, and it all sounds very, very positive the way things are going so far. Um, but perhaps the most um, pleasant news is hearing how well Loftus Cheek is doing. Of course, he scored a couple of goals against QPR in the seven-one route, um, and that is sort of surely better than perhaps could have been hoped. I mean, yes, uh, a lot of the the players have had their fitness levels reduced with the layoff, but he hasn't played under Lampard for thirteen months. Uh, so not at all, basically. Um, so for him to to be looking sharp is, is really positive. And, and look, they're all fighting for places. This is the first time that, that Frank Lampard has had a fully fit squad to choose from. And it's going to be incredibly difficult for Frank, let alone us, um, to try and pick the starting eleven for Villa. Uh, but it's a huge game, this first one. Um as you've mentioned, Matt, that the, the gap between the, the teams behind them is quite small. They've got that big game against City straight afterwards. The, the last thing they'll want is to start off with a draw or a loss. So um, get that first win under their belts and they'll really be rolling into the, the remaining league fixtures and that pursuit of securing top four. Because let's be honest, they've been in the top four for pretty much the whole season and they'd be gutted if they let it slip now. Liam, I'm guessing tactically, it's unlikely we're going to see a radical change from the 4-3-3 slash 4-3-2-1 we saw before the pause. It's not as if any of these new players are available now. So it seems unlikely that there would be any kind of tactical shift. Would you agree? Yeah, I think Chelsea found probably their, their best balance in the in the week before the shutdown. Uh, maybe not necessarily in terms of personnel because not everyone was fit, but the 4-3-3 with... Um, Billy Gilmore emerging at the base in the Jorginho role really made made things look very very smart at both ends of the pitch and and I think those wins over Liverpool and Everton were two of Chelsea's probably most complete performances at Stamford Bridge so I don't see Lampard changing all that much um, he may he may tweak some of the combinations in terms of personnel and there are still a couple of you know, minor injury worries to think about going into the resumption of play. Callum Hudson-Odoi has had a knock. I think Rhys James has missed a few days with a knock as well. So that could influence his, his starting eleven. But I think the biggest questions for Lampard will be just how, how quickly do I put someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek into action? How quickly do I put Angola Kante into action, given that he's not had quite as much of a full contact lean-in as, as the rest of the squad? Rather than the tactics, I think we're going to see a reasonable amount of consistency there. In terms of the actual lineup, then, Dom, Liam suggested not too much in the way of change. Uh, Stefan Adams has been on. He wants to know what would be your preferred centre back pairing and why. We, we saw a lot of Kurt Zuma, didn't we, just before the uh, the break? Christensen and Rudiger, too, and not so much of, of Fikayo Tomori. Do you, do you have a, a pair in mind that Lampard will start with at Villa? I imagine he goes Zuma and Rudiger. Um, I suspect that's that'll that'll be what he picks. I mean, Christensen for Zuma, 
is an option that he has explored. I, I'm, it's been a bit disappointing to see that Tamori sort of fade, uh, but then I suppose that's to be expected in your first full season in the in the Premier League, where you're, the relentless nature of the division um, and the and the Champions League, etc., as well, and the sheer number of, of fixtures, I suppose that a dip was to be anticipated. But hopefully, he comes back in this period. Um, stronger for it. I, I, I was trying to work out my sort of favoured eleven for for both this the remainder of this season and the beginning of next. Um, and, and for next season, predicting you know if they if they didn't sign, if they didn't have the money to sign another centre half, and I do wonder whether at some point, uh, as Pilaqueta drifts more central um, as a centre centre half. Given the sort of Reese James's development on the right, right side of that of that back four, and he is clearly the future at right back. But for now, yeah, I'd, I'd expect Zuma and Rudiger at Villa Park, um, and hopefully, hopefully James can maraud forward down one flank if if fully fit, and and maybe as Pilaqueta can can slip in at left back because I still think he's. There's more surety there with him than Marcus Alonso. Um, what about midfield, Simon? Could could potentially be a problem area for this match. Jorginho suspended, and, and as Liam's mentioned, we don't know how fit Angolo Kante is. So that that is somewhere where Lampard has a, a big call to make. Might we see somebody like Billy Gilmore alongside Mateo Kovacic? I wonder. Possibly. Um, you know, it, it's it's quite a competitive area um, to say the least is it a shame the uh, the lockdown got in the way of, of the momentum that was building because of course we saw in those two games just before the break um, Billy Gilmore anchoring midfield with two sort of attacking midfielders actually getting in, betwe- in between the lines and, and that seemed to sort of show Chelsea at their best I think probably you'd be looking at Kovacic anchoring um, even though I'd like to see Billy Gilmore continues development, but that it, it, there's such a uh, so much at stake that I wonder whether Frank Lampard will continue to to trust him this early on. And then I think look, there's a, a number of options going further forwards. You've you've now got Pulisic back to play play uh, at the left. Mason Mount will play regardless. <laughs> he's he's got to keep his hundred percent appearance <laughs> record going. So um, he, he'll definitely be featuring Ross Barkley. Will probably rue the um, the break as, as much as anyone because he actually looked like he was showing a bit of form. Um, we've already touched on Loftus Cheek. There are so many options there, and it's very exciting. But look, I think Lampard's going to go on the attack against Villa. Uh, Villa, of course, struggling near the bottom of the table. He's going to go for goals there and then hopefully get that win to take into the City game where perhaps he'll choose a more conservative lineup. Dom, Simon's mentioned Ross Barkley there, somebody who you profiled for the Athletic. And and, and as Simon says, the, the break came at, at just the wrong time for Barkley. And, and looking at it from the outside, it, it feels like he's got to prove himself all over again, having, having had such a good finish you know, against, against Liverpool in the FA Cup and a couple of games before that too. He, he really started to stand out, but... Back to square one in terms of his Chelsea career, potentially. Yeah, it sort of sums up his luck, really. Um, he played so well against Liverpool and Everton, his previous club, literally just before the lockdown. Um, and in the the interim, you've got the, the re-emergence of, of Loftus-Cheek. You've, you've got Conte coming back into um, into contention in there as well. And it, as Simon says, there is just such a level of competition in there. Looking looking forward as as well, when you've got Ziyech coming in for next season, I mean, it's it is 
it is staggering, really, the number of options that that Lampard could have. And I think there's a that there's a player in Ross Barkley. He's he's a good quality player. Um, Chelsea didn't spend that much money on him, so they, if they if they do put him on the market, so to speak, and say the Newcastle takeover happens and, and they express an interest as has been mooted, or e- even a, a reunion with David Moyes at West Ham. I mean, West Ham in, in normal circumstances would, would happily spend £30 million on a player like Ross Barkley. Whether they will have done will post-pandemic, we'll have to wait and see. So Chelsea had the potential to make a profit on him, which will probably make him an appealing sale for them because... I just don't see where he fits in in a first-choice midfield at Stamford Bridge next season. And it's a strange one. They, Chelsea attracted him since he was 17. Um, they, they 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 saw him as a, the successor-elect to, to Frank Lampard. And they even tried to sign him before he ended up moving there in, in, in 2018. But for for whatever reason, largely fitness, but also competition for places, it just hasn't really happened on a prolonged basis for him at Chelsea, and I suspect that means that he will have a new challenge to, to, to face in the summer and it'll be somewhere else. Yeah, it also means he might find himself on the expanded bench on Sunday. A great question here on that from Andrew Turmer. He wants to know, how would you creatively use five subs? Training in units so he could switch out the entire front three and retain continuity, have a prearranged tactical switch after a certain number of minutes, or with half-time subs? Liam, this is going to be really fascinating to watch, not just from Frank Lampard, but from uh, all the Premier League coaches, how they how they make best use of this new five subs rule. It is. I think for, for coaches, they've they've basically gone from having two subs plus one that you kind of keep in case of an injury to suddenly having four subs um, plus one for any any injuries that might happen. So there's a lot more flexibility there, tactics-wise, personnel-wise. I think the the top clubs will, will probably use it to, to load up on more attacking options, um, provided they have them in their squads, because you, you want as many options to change a game that's going against you from the bench as possible. I, I, I think Lampard should probably do, you know, Kovacic for Barkley after 60 minutes or, or <laughs> you know just to keep things fresh in midfield but um, that's an interesting point on on kind of combinations of and, and attacking units I'm not sure we're going to see too much kind of replacing the entire front three that feels like a very Mourinho move to me um, I don't think a lot of coaches are going to do that but I think we will see um, a lot more attacking options, and maybe in Chelsea's case, you know, it gives you m- more of an opportunity to to even sneak someone like a Tino Andrian or an Armando Brozier as like the the eighth or ninth man on the bench as a little bit of a wild card if you need it. So I, I think all the coaches will appreciate having that option, and um, and and it will be interesting to see exactly what the the top coaches decide to do with it. Dom Liam says that all the coaches w- will appreciate it. I'm sure they probably will in one sense, but it does feel like it's quite weighted towards the big clubs, this rule, in that Chelsea have got a squad stacked with international players. We've seen plenty of times this season when a Pedro or a Batshuayi haven't even made the bench. Not quite the same situation if you're Burnley, though, is it? So is is this something which is is going to really favour the big teams, do you think? Undoubtedly. And I think there was a bit of resistance within the Premier League, with certain Premier League clubs in the in the Skype and Zoom meetings, uh, towards the, the five substitutes rule, and and in the end, they, all the clubs have had to accept that 
the, the injuries are likely to happen. The soft tissue injuries will come, I and mean, they're they're happening now. They're, they're, if you look at the clubs, look away from Chelsea for a minute. There are there are players pulling up with hamstring and thigh problems, calf problems already. Um, just just with the build up of of sudden build up of training in a, in a more intense pre season scenario. So, it, in the end, a, a level of common sense prevailed, but un, un, undoubtedly it will help the bigger clubs, uh, and it will help a club like Chelsea perhaps more than more still because they've got so many good quality young players who have been desperate to to gain an involvement and and to. To be on the scene, and we know we've had the the sea change under Lampard this season, where they have been getting more opportunities. But for someone like Tino Andrian to be to be involved on, even if it's just on a nine man bench, for the last seven, eight, nine games of a of a Premier League season is huge. I mean, that's just, that's a wonderful experience for him, and he'll benefit from it. And you know, in the long term, that that will really suit Chelsea. Yeah, Andrian, somebody we've spoken about on the show in the past, who has recently signed a new long term contract with the club. Uh, Simon, before we, we move on from the match, we ought to, to give a brief mention to Villa in the relegation zone at the time of recording. They could move out of it if they beat Sheffield United on Wednesday, but it's not been a good return to the to the Premier League for them, particularly given that they spent more money on players than any other English club uh, last summer. But But having said that, they did give Chelsea a bit of a scare at the bridge earlier in the season, so we shouldn't be expecting a walkover. No, and I think the the break has has really uh, worked for them in that if the game had gone ahead as, as scheduled, Villa off were on the back of a five game losing streak, and looking like the wheels were really coming off. Um, and of course, as mentioned earlier, Chelsea looked like they'd started to turn the corner a little bit themselves with two of their best performances. So I think most of us would have had that down as a as an away win. Uh, the way things were shaping up. Um, but now Dean Smith has had plenty of time to, for egos and and lack of confidence to, to be healed. Um, he would have been giving it the big talk. Of course, John Terry, every Chelsea fan knows him. He would have been doing the same. I suppose that's been the big surprise is that John Terry's influence has not been able to really um, get Villa defending um, tremendously well. But perhaps that's more a reflection on the quality of defenders they have rather than John himself as a coach. But I, I think this could be um, a, a much more difficult game. The thing is, Chelsea's record at Villa Park isn't the best, but of course they won't have the fans there to worry about. So it, it's not going to be quite as intimidating as perhaps it's uh, been in the past. But um, perhaps a lot of it will also depend on how Villa get on in that first game. If they, if they suffer another defeat... Um, then that will put an early dent into their confidence before they face a much better team in Chelsea. Yeah, they could do Chelsea a favour twice this week, firstly by beating Sheffield United and then by, by losing to the Blues on Sunday. We will, of course, be reacting to that game in next week's episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. 
And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Right, that's just about it for this week. Chaps, before we go, what have you got available for Athletic subscribers to read and what's in the pipeline? Liam, we'll start with you. So I've still got a piece up from the weekend on um, Jorginho and kind of the, the strange place he continues to inhabit at Chelsea where he's made it a really profound impact on and off the pitch at the club. But these rumours of a potential Sarri reunion at Juventus won't go away. So I've, I've looked at all of that. Um, Simon and I are going to have an argument for for the subscribers <laughs> this week about the the team that Lampard should pick against Villa so I hope everyone enjoys that good good opportunity to work out you know some of those long held tensions and uh, <laughs> 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 um and uh yeah some other big pieces in the pipeline I'm working on a, a project about Ruben Loftus Cheek as well uh, Simon you've got pieces on the site available now on Christian Pulisic and and a general look at the mood around Stamford Bridge ahead of the resumption yeah, I've gone. Um, I've interviewed Christian Pulisic's um, former youth coach at Borussia Dortmund, Hannes Wolf, who who knows him better than most. Basically, he 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 obviously helped bring Pulisic to Dortmund, and they've stayed in contact. Um, and he even reached out to him during this season to sort of give him a, a little bit of a pick me up when when things were going tough. But more importantly, he's got an insight into how Pulisic copes with um, difficulty competition etc and that's uh, clearly relevant with um, what's going on at Chelsea signing more attacking talent in Pulisic's um, putting his place further at risk so um, lots of good stuff from him and yes I, I was put in charge of the sort of um, season preview or season restart preview um, I have made dropped the line that Chelsea have got probably the most to lose in the top 10 which sounds a bit gloomy um, but there's no doubt about it. Chelsea are the team that, that are the talk of the game right now, what with their transfer business and this race for the top four and, and seeing how Frank Lampard handles it, which is um, a piece that I'll also be doing later in the week. Um, of course, Frank Lampard's only had one season as a coach. He was in charge of a run-in at Derby for their promotion campaign last season. So I'm going to be delving into how does Frank react uh, when the pressure's on as a coach. We all know what he can do as a player, but is there any difference? What does he do uh, when he's a coach and got so much pressure on his shoulders? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that and fascinating to read the piece too, I'm sure. Uh, Don, what have you got lined up for this week? We mentioned the Ross Barkley piece, which people can read now. Yeah, Barkley's online now. Uh, it be interesting to see what, what role he plays over the last nine games of the, of the league campaign. Um, I'm working on a piece of my favourite favourite player of all time but I'm afraid that's not Chelsea related so apologies <laughs> to Chelsea fans I'm, I'm going to be I'm be I'm not, I don't know whether I'm writing about this it all depends on when that much happens but I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the club approach the whole Pedro William contractual situation um, in whether that happens whether there's any progress made in terms of short-term contract extensions uh, in the next few days ahead of the resumption of the Premier League um, or whether we just accept that both of these players are going to cease to be Chelsea players come July the 1st, so they'll basically only be available for three more games. I, I think that's a, one to keep an eye on, because uh, that is a, a very bizarre and, and unique situation post-pandemic, 
Um, and one to think that you know a player that's been as key as William has in partic- particular uh, that might just be want- ending the season elsewhere or in the wilderness. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to those two. Uh, remember, listener, if you haven't signed up to The Athletic yet, you can do so for full details on all those stories and plenty more too. Just go to theathletic.com slash Pod to take advantage of a 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Pod. Uh, do join us again, same time, same place next week. But for now, from Dom, from Liam, from Simon and myself, it's goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>